0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, instruct us now through your holy word. Speak through me as your servant, remembering that your words are the words of life. There are all kinds of ideologies and philosophies of men in this world today, some that have profound observations of how things function. But they don't deal with the originations of how life came into existence and why we even have a critical mind to think with in the first place. You have the words of life. Impart them to us through your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd ask that you turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 105. Psalm 105 and put a marker there, as we need to continue with last week's message, uh, which is in Acts 27. Acts 27. Psalm 105, the psalmist calls upon the people of God to rejoice and remember who God is and what He has done for us. We will revisit that towards the end of the message. But at first, we need to continue in Acts 27, as I ended that message last week, asking the question, why is it that you need to come to the end of yourself in order to truly see that you were never in control to begin with? Why is it that you need to come to the end of yourself in order to truly see that you were never in control to begin with? The one who is in control is God. The one who is always in control is God. In Acts 27, verse 20, Luke is writing in hindsight, and he says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They were exhausted and destitute with no means to survive in such a storm. Throwing most of the food overboard was their last effort to lighten the ship and make it more buoyant, hopefully uh, desiring to stay alive. But at this point, they were truly at the end of themselves knowing that the only thing they had uh, waiting for them uh, was to be overtaken by death itself. But in the midst of this despair... In the midst of this despair, Paul tells them, in verse 23 on, he says, Last night an angel of of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Of all the places that you would want to hear the words, take courage and do not be afraid, would it not be when you're facing death right in the eyes? When you're looking at death and death is staring back at you and you realize that this is the one that you're going to contend with, is it not of courage? An encouragement to hear the words "Do not fear" from the angel of the Lord, from God's word, knowing that death has no power over God whatsoever, that death is not greater than God, as God's purposes will be carried out regardless of what stands against them. Is this not what Paul means when he writes in Romans chapter twelve verses thirty eight and thirty nine For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the love of God working through the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, to give us the victory over all that opposes us even death itself. God saved everyone on that ship from the storm. Every one of them. From the power of death so that Paul would be able to testify before Caesar. God told Paul earlier on in in Acts that to the Gentiles you must go. And so God is keeping His promise and His purposes are not going to be thwarted by anything in creation. And so onward Paul goes. There are two matters here then of extreme importance before we get to Psalm 105, which calls us to rejoice and remember what God has done. The first matter is that God's purposes will be established as God is the Almighty One. God's purposes shall be established because God is the Almighty One. There is none greater than Him. Look in your Bibles at Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It's not because we don't live in a scary world. It's not because there are trials in front of us. It's not because things can go awry and, and, and mess up our lives. We, that's not the reason we don't fear. It can be easy to, re, to be fearful of those things. We don't fear... Because God is with us. He is our refuge. And therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Whether it be the greatest forces of nature unleashed, such as those during the time of the flood, or the terrible uproar of the nations during times of persecution and even war, that threaten to undo us. We will not fear, as Luther writes, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. So this storm will not overtake Paul and even those on board with him, as it is God's will that his truth will be declared to Rome through his servant Paul. This leads to the second matter, which is that even though salvation is assuredly from the Lord, This salvation normally flows through or is offered through God's people. That's important to understand. He who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. He who sows abundantly, reaps abundantly. There's a reason Jesus says this. You can restrict the flow of God's Spirit through you or you can unleash it. The issue is our faith. Are we trusting in God? Are we servants of God? Are we allowing God to use us for His glory? Are we restricting the flow because we are fearful? Think about how the wind flows. The wind is basically everywhere. But it flows in currents throughout this world. You can get in nooks and crannies and go anywhere. And can you control it? That's what God's spirit is like, Jesus says. The Westminster Confession of Faith Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is God? The the first part of the answer is God is a spirit. God is a spirit. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. But God is a spirit, not confined by anything. Hence, we need to recognize Uh, god's spirit at work here in the life of paul even in directing the ship in the midst of this storm Uh, what does the angel of god tell paul in verse 24 of acts 27 he says god has graciously given you god has given you paul every member on this ship it's because you are here that they are going to be saved Now what did I say? Salvation is of the Lord, but God's salvation is meted out. It's it's revealed through His servants, through His people, as they proclaim His Word, as they proclaim His good news. And I want to guarantee you that if you are in the midst of the storm and you've been out in the storm for 14 days, everything's been tossed over, you're starving, your, your anxiety level is through the roof, you want to hear some good news and that you're going to be saved? After all of this is extremely good news. But the reason they're going to be saved is because of their intercessor. Because God is, is showing grace through Paul. This is Genesis 18, where God's people intercede for those around them. As James chapter 5, verse 16 states, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, and I'm thinking he's probably thinking of Abraham, or maybe the Apostle Paul, or one of the other apostles, uh, asking for God's grace on behalf of those around them, availeth, helps much, because you're drawing your power, your strength from the Lord, you're petitioning the Lord's strength on behalf of those around you. You're, you're, you're seeking God's grace on behalf of those around you. And if you think that prayer is not important, beloved, if you look at your neighbors and your neighborhood, the community of Oskaloosa, the churches around here, the state of Iowa, the country, and you think that your prayers don't matter to God, that is a lie. They do when you are seeking God's will, when you are are laying your heart before the Lord and asking Him to accomplish His work through you and, and to accomplish His work for the lives of those around you, that availeth much. That helps a great deal because that's God's power that is unleashed. Even through your prayers. One of the greatest lies of the devil is don't bother praying because it's not going to do anything. God already knows what's going on. Your prayers aren't going to matter much. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When you come before the Lord in humility and you seek his, His will to be accomplished here in this world as it's done in heaven, God works through that. And what you see here in this situation is that all 276 people on board, we were saved because of the prayers of three individuals, namely Paul, but also Luke and Aristarchus, the three Christians on that boat. That's why everybody else was saved. It was God showing forth grace and favor through his servants because his purposes will not be stopped? And he wants Paul to go to Rome. To proclaim his gospel and Paul will go to Rome well we see how God's word works out in the midst of this uh, God vindicated Paul Paul was considered a criminal and what greater vindication than divine intervention where you know that death is right before you that you're going to die Unless something happens, unless something changes. And here, something changes. The night is, you know, the winds and, and waves are raging on. in the night, you can't see where you're going. There's no stars. There's nothing to see in the sky. And all of a sudden, you take soundings, and there's land. And it's getting shallower. And as the day starts to break, after you've put down the anchors, the day starts to break. You see an island with a cove. And you try and make headway for that island and you hit a sandbar. But everybody, and, and this ties into the soldiers uh, because the, the uh, Roman centurion Julius did not allow his soldiers to kill the prisoners. What the soldiers were going to do, is, and they know the hefty penalty for allowing a prisoner to escape is whatever their punishment was will be your punishment. And if they have a death sentence coming, then you would be put to death. So it's just easier for them not to have to worry about these prisoners trying to escape, so they were going to kill them all. Execute them. Julius did not want them to execute Paul, so he kept them from doing that. And by doing so, the word of the Lord is true. Every single person arrived on that island safe. Again, God's salvation being meted out through his servant, even as salvation is of the Lord. So think about this. They were driven by the storm for 14 days, being totally at the mercy of this tempest, and then they run aground on a sandbar, and they hit the island of Malta, which is this little island in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. And how do you think they got there? How do you think they all survived? Again, It's through God's grace. It's through God's word. It's through God's spirit. Not just speaking the truth of what's going to happen through Paul, but making it happen. Directing that ship so that they land at this island so that all can be saved. That's all God's providential governance bringing this to pass. So everyone was saved. And the question then again is who's in control? The Roman commander and his company of soldiers with their swords and shields, with their military hardware, the captain and the crew of the ship, were they the ones in control? Not at all. The one who was in control was the the slave or the criminal who proclaimed the word of God. In other words, God is the one who is in control. Paul as God's servant is just making that known to everyone who was there. Do you think everybody on that boat rejoiced to set their wobbly legs on solid ground? Do you think they rested well that night, thankful to be alive after such turmoil? Do you think they will ever forget what God did for them through His servant Paul? You know what my answer to that is? Perhaps. Perhaps the one thing us human beings are good at doing is forgetting and justifying. I know that we live in the information age and thus we are inundated with all kinds of information on a daily basis so that as some files are placed in the memory cabinet other files are cast out and put in file 13 or the circular file. But what about important information that can help you to not make the same mistakes over and over again. What about remembering which medicines you need to take, not only to keep you healthy, but maybe even keep you alive? What about special dates or events on the calendar? I can remember signs regarding 9-11. And these signs said in big letters, never forget. I remember similar signs for the, for the Jewish Holocaust. Never forget, never forget what, what happened during this time of history so that we are not doomed to repeat it. Well, Pastor, that's why we write stuff down, so we don't forget it. It's why we write important stuff down in, in journals, personal journals. Or we have uh, a, f- a family lineage of, of records. Or, or we have records for the church. Historical records for the church. Uh, we have history written down about our community in Oskaloosa. Or, or we have history for our country. And so forth. World history. That's so why we write these things down is so that we don't forget them. And that we can learn by what has happened in the past. But if you neglect history... Are you not doomed to repeat the past? Is that not why history goes in cycles? For example, there are false preachers today and teachers today who present themselves as the genuine article. They are truly of God. Uh, while selling their religious and philosophical wares that have nothing to do with the biblical gospel, to whomever will buy in, as they have never been fa- there have never been false teachers and false prophets before them who led people away from God. Why would people be duped again? You don't learn from history. We go in cycles. There are greedy business people who are trying to build their own, their own empires in this world, as if there have not been greedy business people before trying to build their own empires in this world, and yet people still trust in these empires, still trust in these companies, and buy their products and invest in their stocks, even though they have no moral compass by which they are directed. There are corrupt kingdoms that promote Satan's agenda of worshiping the creature over the Creator, and these kingdoms stand for a while before they are uprooted and destroyed by the next ruthless, self-deifying kingdom. Pride makes you forget. Pride makes you forget. Oh, we will just build back better than before. When you are in the fresh moment, or you are fresh in the moment of seeing God's deliverance, of course you remember. Of course you do. But a few months later, a few years later, decades later. Generally speaking, you can collectively forget that your salvation comes from the Lord as you try to take care of yourself instead of daily trusting in God's provision through His Spirit and His Word. This neglect leads to churches and even whole denominations in decline. This is a reason there is a division in the visible church today just as there is in our culture. You can forget that God is the source of blessing as you seek the world's blessing. You can forget that God is the source of life as you are busy trying to draw life from the idols that you prop up for yourself. When we forget God, the focus is then on us, and we go from serving the living God to serving the God of money or materialism. The man-made systems of this world striving to establish ourselves in this world apart from God Most High. When one forgets God and hence does not recognize who He is, they no longer fear Him. And then out come the mockers, the scoffers, the cynics, and the skeptics with their condescending rhetoric aimed at God and His people. I think of Jesus hanging on a cross and why He hung there. This is the Son of God hanging on a cross. And why He was there was so that He could take upon Himself our sin and give to us His righteousness through His shed blood for us. And yet, what did people say when they went in front of Him? Matthew 27, verse 40. So they said, you were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, were you? Save yourself if you are God's Son. Come down from the cross. Well, three days haven't passed yet. And the temple Jesus was talking about restoring was His own body. And I can guarantee you that it is extremely more difficult to restore someone's body that has been dead than it is to put a few blocks on top of each other. But it's coming. And if Jesus saved Himself, He would not be able to save us by paying the penalty for our sins on the cross. And if Jesus came down from the cross, He would be rebelling against His Heavenly Father, who said that this is the only way. Yet in the same way we continue, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the intellectuals of this community, those with knowledge, those in the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down. If he has authority, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. As if Jesus could save himself. Can you hear the attitude? as if Jesus had the power to actually come down off that cross. Let's see Him heal His own wounds and cast out those who put Him on the cross, if He has power. As if His so-called Heavenly Father really cares about Him. When I think of this, I am so impressed with, with God in heaven that all He did was shut the lights out and bring an earthquake I could so see God going to mankind again. You dirty rats, you treat my son that way? Back at you. But that's not why God sent his son into this world, is it? He took all that upon himself because he came to save, not to condemn. Oh, how people like to play God. We are so good at pretend. Consider how fashionable it is these days for some, in some academic circles for scholarly intellectuals to criticize the Bible as they place themselves in authority over God's Word to correct it through their superior understanding. If indeed the Bible is the word of God, can anything be more arrogant than this? Than the creature telling the creator what is right. R.C. Sproul spoke of cynicism and skepticism as the crudest form of quasi-intellectualism. Let the cynic become cynical of his cynicism and the skeptic skeptical of his skepticism and join the battle for understanding. In other words, anyone can criticize, anyone can do that, but understanding comes at a much higher price. I bring this up because I'm grieved at how much arrogance and ignorance there are in our country these days. It grieves my soul, and I look at my own heart first. It is our arrogance towards God that has promoted our moral decline into ignorance that is leading us down a path where we are destroying ourselves from within. I have on the back table, as I mentioned before, some excerpts from the French historian Alexis de Tocqueville on the greatness of America as he visited this country in the 1830s. And I know it's a long time ago. But have we forgotten what has made this nation a great nation. What has made us a great people. He's the one who said America is great because America is good. That's not good at doing something. That's morally good. America is great because America is morally good. When America ceases to become morally good, America will cease to become great. take a look after the service of what made America great. The only reason I believe our country has not already tanked is that God is remembering His people here in this nation. And He hears your prayers. He receives your prayers. And He is with you. And He hears the prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world, lifting this nation before God's throne of grace he hears us and I believe that he is the one with great patience who is bearing with us during this time of difficulty during these problematic times and I think Psalm 105 the reason I want you to turn there now is Psalm 105 leads us back It is what directs us in how we should go forth. It's a guide directing us how we may rejoice and remember our God and the importance of making known who He is amongst the nations regarding what He has accomplished. Listen to these verses, verses 1 through 7. Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name. This is a consistent call to give thanks and praise and and call on god's name in prayer make known among the nations what he has what he has done make god known to all through missions and ministries and mercy who he is and what he's done verse 2 sing sing to him sing praise to him tell of his wonderful acts don't be don't be coerced by the culture to be quiet Because you're a Christian and you need to keep that that personally to yourself. Tell them of what God has done in your life. Tell them what He's done in the lives of other believers. Tell them what what God has done in the history of this country to make this a great nation. And how God's blessed this nation. Do not be silent. Declare what God has done. Even though they may try to silence you. Glory in. Honor His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. In other words, do not lean on your own understanding, but, but submit yourself to the strength and counsel of the Lord. Seek His face always. That's not sometimes or when you feel like it. Always. That's seeking the counsel of God daily. Because we need Him daily, just like a little child needs their parents on a regular basis. We need our God and Savior daily, and we need to seek Him daily. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He has pronounced O descendants of Abraham, his servant, those who trust in God's righteousness, those who live by faith. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, those who are elect from every nation. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. That is the one thing we have to really remember is that his judgments are in all the earth. God is sovereign. His judgments, laws, governing principles are in all the earth. This is what God was teaching Job at the end when God was trying to ask, or Job was trying to ask God why all these things take place. And God is saying, I am in control of all this. Yes, Job says, Why are you allowing this to happen to me? To show you that when you put your faith in me, that is enough. You don't need anything from this world, all you need is me. We forget that as God's people. Because our world makes it very appealing and says, this is what you need. That's what you need. You need this material thing. You need this thought. You need this idea. You need this idol. Israel learned in the wilderness the only one they need is God. And God's revelation to his world. R.C. Sproul once said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests His power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and everything but that in which God has placed it, His Word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity. And that power is focused in the Scriptures. God's Word was given to Paul that if you follow it, everyone on that boat will be saved. Paul declared that Word to those around him and they followed it. And every person on that boat was saved. Will we not as His people remember to follow His Word And rejoice in it. Not make excuses for it. Rejoice in it. Because God's word is life. Rejoice. And remember this. And declare it to the nations. Amen.